from west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello, and welcome to episode 75 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, producer, and good friend, Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Michael? Oh, I'm doing well. Thanks. I, I finally started putting up some Halloween decorations. <laughs> so, and took you long enough. Oh, I know. Well, I haven't really put up anything outside, but um, inside I did. Yeah, we uh, we finally just got our inside decorations completely organized the way we want it. So uh, that was a small victory. But yeah, I'm I'm ready for Christmas stuff now, though. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it, it just hit me. I, I just, you know, as we've talked about before on this show and many times over and over again, I, I listen to Christmas music year-round, and it, I don't know, something just hit right away. Like, I'm ready for Christmas. <laughs> so I think it comes down to the weather and just just that it feels like I need that that magic that mm-hmm. it comes around at Christmas. You know, that, that warm, special feeling, I guess, more than the magic. But I'm ready for that. So it no. feels like there's... Oh, pumpkin. That, that warm pumpkin spice doesn't give you the feeling. It does, but only when it's related in pumpkin pies. And so we at oh. least need to get the Thanksgiving for that to be socially acceptable for me. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I, I guess I don't need Christmas per se, but I at least need Thanksgiving to roll around. Yeah. See, I can't get into the Christmas spirit too early because then I peak before the holiday. And then by the time Christmas rolls around, I, um, I'm i tired of it. Yeah. So I have to be very careful. I, I get that. So I, I understand when that happens to people. But it's for me, there's just not enough of it at any point in time. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's just that's my dysfunction. I just enjoy Christmas. <laughs> Well, good. Well, it'll it'll be here before we know it. Yes. <laughs> That's either good or bad for some people. It just depends. So, anyway, well, speaking of things coming up, it is we're we're coming up on having our quarterly uh, question and answer show, where where you, our listeners, get to be a part of the show by sending in your questions, at, for Craig and I to. S- sort of sift through and pull some out and answer them to the best of our ability. So, Craig, do you want to talk a little more about that? Yeah, like always, um, we will be hosting our questions through Facebook. I know not everyone has it. And again, I apologize. It's time to jump on the bandwagon and uh, just endure it just so you can ask questions, I guess, if you have it. And uh, we only do that because... It's just easier on us to keep all the questions in one place. So Mm -hmm. I apologize that some of you out there don't have it and you need another way to ask them. It 
really is just though to help us keep our sanity because usually we get about you know 200 or so questions uh, and it's a lot to go through if you start getting those all in different places. So uh, essentially, uh, we're planning on recording that episode towards the end of October. So as this show is released, we'll also have a post on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash disunplugged. And that will uh, basically say in it that this is the place to ask your questions for our question and answer for connecting with Walt. And uh, we'll keep it open for about two weeks, up until about a week before we get ready to record. And at that point, uh, we'll, we'll cut it off so that way we have time to start sifting through all those questions. And then also not just going through them, but finalizing which ones uh, we're, we're going to add to the pile. Uh, with the questions, as we always ask, um, please keep it to actually questions that can be answered for the show and uh we go through it every time it's gotten better since the first one but this is not uh, this is not for suggesting different topics that we can cover on the show uh, we have you know we, we always inevitably see at one point in time like oh do it on hollywood studios or do an episode on pleasure island and uh as you're about to listen to, we're finally getting fully into a different park besides Magic Kingdom. We're out of there. So we're making our way through all of Walt Disney World's history. It's just going to take some time and some years to get through mm -hmm. there. So most of your suggestions that you throw out there, we will get to eventually that's already on our plans. It just takes time and research. So with the questions, just make sure that they are are ones that we can actually answer, not just broad, open-ended questions like, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Um, going along with that, we also get the slew of questions about what would Walt think about this and what would Walt think about that? And uh, we already have the definitive answer on it, and that is we have no idea. So <laughs> it's not we're not trying to be rude, but uh, it's just... If you only ask that one question, we can already tell you up front that we're not going to choose it and we're not going to answer it. So maybe try to find a different question that you'd rather uh, have us potentially answer for the show because we definitely won't answer it if it asks what Walt what, what thinks of this and that. So that's kind of it for it beside the guidelines. It can be about uh, the Walt Disney parks, all the, the Walt Disney World theme parks, the uh, Disneyland Resort. It can be about anything overseas that Michael has visited or me with Paris for right now, since we can answer a little bit of questions on that to our experience of the times that we've been there. It can obviously be on the movies. It can be on the man himself, the studios, uh, all, all sorts of topics. So just keep it, try to keep it for the most part related to Disney, unless you feel like you're, kind of off-topic question does slightly relate to Disney and interesting because it might catch our eye and we decide it. But yeah, it'll that'll go up on Facebook alongside with this show. So ask away and maybe we'll answer. Yeah. Yeah, we're looking forward to hearing your questions, seeing your questions. Anyway, so... All right. Well, as Craig alluded to, we are starting uh, looking at another park today. Um, in episode four of Connecting with Walt, titled The Master Plan, Craig and I talked about 
the Walt, you know, Walt Disney's original plan for Epcot. And what a visit to Epcot, the city as Walt envisioned, um, might have been like. So starting with this episode, Craig and I will begin a series on Epcot. So during the course of the series, we'll examine its transition from the city of the future to a theme park and look at all the pavilions within the park. So if you've not listened to episode four, I highly recommend you listen to it to learn about Walt's original plans for Epcot. Now, Marty Scalar once told the story of how he first heard about Walt's idea for Epcot. It was the summer of 1964, and WED Enterprises, now better known as Walt Disney Imagineering, had just completed the four shows for the 1964-65 New York World's Fair. Dick Irvine, who was then vice president of design for WED Enterprises, called Marty into his office and asked him to put together some background information for a new project Walt had in mind. Now, Dick Irvine had only a sketchy outline of the project, and Marty later realized Walt had only given Dick the broadest idea and concept of his plan. Dick really wanted Marty to begin a research project in anticipation of what Walt might want. Walt had actually been thinking about this project for years. He knew where he wanted to go with it, and everyone else would find out in due time. So two days later, Marty returned to Dick's office with a name for the project, and Dick was overjoyed and said, great, what do you think it should be called? And Marty replied, Waltopia. (laughs) So although Marty was kidding, he believed Waltopia was the essence of Epcot. As Marty said, utopias are created by dreamers, and Walt Disney's dreams just happen to be bigger than all those other kids on the block and in his business. So utopian visions are seldom achieved, however. Yeah, but that's still an awful name. Um, Yeah. (laughs) You know, it just, it would have made it really easy to become Zootopia, uh, once that movie became a success, if they really wanted to rebrand Epcot, but yeah, Waltopia, that's that's just terrible. I'm not... <laughs> well, he was kidding. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if you should even joke about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the time he said it never left Dick's office <laughs> until until Marty wrote it in a book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Walt would drop little hints about his idea. So John Hench, who's a senior vice president and chief designer for WED, uh, recalled the day in the early 1960s when Walt stopped by his office and poked his head in to say, Johnny, how would you like to work on the city of the future? And without waiting for a response, Walt was off with a twinkle in his eye. So as he lay in a hospital bed at St. Joseph's Hospital in the final days of his life, Walt sketched out his final dream to his brother Roy, using the ceiling tiles of his private room to divide up the 43 square miles of land the company had had recently purchased in Central Florida. Walt was most excited about Epcot, which of course is, at the time, it was an acronym for the Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow which would be a city of the future and living laboratory for new technologies for living and working. Uh, 
Now, Epcot was so central to Walt's vision for the Florida project that it provided the reason for having a theme park. Walt had agreed to build the Magic Kingdom to attract tourists to Central Florida and to Epcot and to provide the much-needed funding for Epcot. After Walt's passing on December 15, 1966, plans for Epcot were suspended. Walt's successors were not sure how to move forward with Walt's plan without his direction. And the Disney Board of Directors eventually decided that it was too risky to venture into city planning now that Walt was gone. Despite this, Imagineers rallied to keep Epcot alive. Marty Sklar, Bob Gurr, and their colleagues started the Wednesday Morning Club think tank, whilst Roy Disney, who was close to retirement, led the charge. If Project X, the working name for Epcot, wasn't going to become the community of tomorrow, this group was determined it wouldn't become the big talk of yesterday either. In the late 1970s, Disney CEO Card Walker wanted to revisit the Epcot idea after a newspaper article titled, Epcot Died 10 Minutes After Walt's Body Cooled, was published. And due to the pressure from the Florida State Legislature, who still remembered Walt's promise of building a city of the future. But the Disney Board of Directors was still wary and all agreed that Walt's Epcot would not work in its initial incarnation. They thought that no one would want to live under, under a microscope and be watched constantly. Up until then, the Imagineers had focused on the big picture. But how would families in Epcot function, and who would live there? The loose idea was to invite employees of General Electric of Westinghouse to inhabit Epcot's home of the future for a six-month sabbatical. But where would the children go to school? Bigger problems weren't clarified either. What would Florida weather, around-the-clock public transportation, and high-powered trash disposal mean for daily life under a 50-foot dome? There were too many concerns. It made great sense to Walt, but he didn't live long enough to get into the nitty-gritty details of getting an idea to work, recalled Marty Sklar. There's a gigantic difference between the spark of a brilliant idea and the daily operation of an idea. So Walt Disney Productions, its board of directors, and its Imagineers had another problem. What were they going to do with all that land in Florida? The Magic Kingdom and the resorts were doing remarkably well in the mid-1970s, so well that it was time to consider an expansion, perhaps even another theme park. And what would they do with all the land that had been marked for the environmental prototype community of tomorrow? Two competing ideas emerged as the front runners a pavilion-based World's Fair-style park, which would capitalize on the recent success the company had with its pavilions at the New York World's Fair, and a world showcase that would highlight the harmony of nations around the globe. On July 14, 1975, in front of media and visiting dignitaries, President of Walt Disney Productions Card Walker and Disney board chairman Don Tatum announced Walt Disney Productions' new vision for Epcot. 
This new concept had three key elements. The first, the Epcot satellites would debut with the World Showcase. The second idea was a theme center where guests could learn about Epcot activities. And the third was the Epcot Institute, which would encourage participation in Epcot's scientific endeavors. Now, the Epcot Institute would be an independent nonprofit organization that would provide the administration necessary to recruit and enable participation in Epcot. The Epcot Institute would maximize the benefits from Epcot-related research and share it with the sponsors of Epcot and the public. Expert advisory boards would help establish the technical credibility of projects undertaken. Two prominent new executives were hired to provide a public face for Epcot. Gordon Cooper, who is a scientist and member of the legendary Mercury 7 astronauts, was named Vice President of Research and Development for Epcot. And C. Langhorne Washburn, who had been the Assistant Secretary of Commerce for Tourism, resigned his position in the Nixon administration to join Walt Disney Productions as the World Showcase Vice President. Washburn coordinated the diplomatic efforts required to recruit international participation in the Epcot project. Advisory boards were to be formed for the satellite project in fields such as oceanography, agriculture, education, medicine, and communications. Epcot would recruit world leaders in each field to participate in the development, testing, and evaluation of these pilot projects. The third concept announced was the Future World Theme Center, an entirely new attraction acting as the hub of all Epcot-related activity in Walt Disney World. This concept would eventually evolve into Epcot Center's Future World area. For the first time, the idea of individual pavilions themed to various fields of study emerged. Planned for the area where Epcot Center would eventually be built and connected by the monorail to the existing Walt Disney World Resort, the theme center would provide guests a glimpse of the activities underway in the Epcot satellites. It would provide a forum for showcasing new concepts and systems, as well as opportunities and challenges. The new facility would use advanced communications techniques, including motion picture technology, models, multimedia exhibits, and ride-through experiences to inform guests about what is being done in the creative centers of science and industry around the world. Whilst the Epcot Institute would provide administration, coordination, and funding, the satellites would conduct research and development and test and demonstrate prototypes, and the theme center would then showcase and communicate these efforts to the world. Now, the theme center's high-capacity guest facilities would expose millions of guests each year to the cutting-edge work underway in Epcot's satellites. Some of the satellite facilities might have small guest capacities or be off-limits entirely. By summarizing their activities at the theme center, Disney researchers would be able to show what was happening daily in a number of facilities all at once. 
guests would not be charged to visit the theme center, but satellite facilities, including World Showcase, would require an an, an admission fee. That's kind of nuts to think about in the first concept that they weren't planning on charging admission to that theme center. Well, and also just how science-focused it all was. Yeah, I, I mean, and that's great. It, it would have been extremely interesting uh, for people who are who are definitely are focused on science and technology. Like, I, I mean, I don't know about everyone out there who's listening, but the first thing that, in my mind, with all of this, it jumps off at me is uh, living with the land. And mm-hmm. that it kind of is this same idea of the concept that you do have this facility that is working on farming of all sorts of type, whether it's, uh, you know, vegetables, fruit, all that, to the fish that they're farming in there and using that for, for food and other resources with it. And so you have that facility there that's taking care of all that, but you do have the theme side where we're able to, through a ride through experience, go through and, and start to learn a little bit about it. So mm-hmm. um, that was the one thing that jumped off at me. And also the other thing, too, is kind of like the the Jurassic Park mindset in the first Jurassic Park movie where they're riding the little attraction around and where they get to learn how they made the dinosaurs with DNA and then see a glimpse at the lab with that. That also is what popped out in, in my mind, too. So one fictional, one real, but... Uh, Definitely an interesting concept. I, I I doubt that would ever work today. And if it would have went that way, I don't know if it would have been sustainable to this day, considering uh, how everyone needs bright, flashing, brand new, shiny things to keep them entertained. Um, right. I don't know if, and you know that that is the the standard with Epcot now. People saying stuff like Horizons can't exist anymore because it just wasn't entertaining too informative anymore but um but this is a different level of informative that would have been oh yeah oh yeah absolutely so now let's take a closer look at this original concept so a two-story transportation hub would serve as the entrance to the theme center and lead to the Communicore, which is a communications corridor. And in this main street of the future, according to a press release, the visitor will be exposed to a series of entertaining and instructive information experiences and communication techniques designed to introduce and demonstrate new systems of information gathering, processing, and disseminating. Communicore would also provide a focal point for visitor orientation to Epcot and the Epcot Information Network that would reach out to homes and offices around the world. So, These areas of energy, transportation, food production, finance, education, information, healthcare, and oceanography eventually form the basis of Epcot Center's opening roster of pavilions. So plans from April 1976 estimated a 19th 1980 opening date for World Showcase and the Epcot Theme Center. 
By 1985, World Showcase would be expanded to its full complement of 30 nations, and three to seven satellite centers would open across Walt Disney World, and another three to five satellites would be added by 1990. But it remained to be seen whether the company could recruit enough participants to make Epcot a reality. So scale models for both the Future World Theme Center and the World Showcase were created and placed side by side. So by 1976, Imagineers attempted to decide what the scale of the project could be, given the resources available. The nation again found itself in the midst of an energy crisis and an economic recession, and despite extensive recruitment efforts, it began to appear that not enough corporations and foreign governments could be recruited to make both World Showcase and the Future World Theme Center economically viable. Proposals to scale down the concept continued throughout the year. In late 1976, with executive review pending, legendary Imagineers Marty Sklar and John Hench famously pushed the models together, and Epcot Center was born. The new park would now have two main areas, Future World and World Showcase. One would be a showcase for the latest innovations of American industry. The other would be a permanent international exhibition. It was asserted that these two parks now combined as one would fully capture Walt's dream of exploring technology to refine the future. But whilst this Epcot Center sounds familiar, it had major differences from the park we know today. Now, guests would enter this Epcot Center through World Showcase, which would serve as the park's main street. Now, resembling the World Showcase proposal announced a year earlier, the wishbone-shaped complex of modernist buildings surrounded by a central plaza, housing performance area and gardens, as well as waterways and a Tower of the Four Winds sculptures. sculpture. So a variety of attractions planned for the international pavilions included a Rhine River cruise through Germany, a cable car ride past Venezuelan waterfalls, and an omnimover trip through the opulent Japanese gardens and scenery. Facing World Showcase across a large central lagoon and past a cluster of towering spires was Future World. Here, the Epcot theme show would serve as the introductory presentation of Epcot Center. Focusing on man and his spaceship Earth, the show offered a moving experience combining a -a one-of-a-kind theater with film and automated techniques. Afterwards, guests could learn about the future of a number of fields by visiting other Future World shows and exhibits. They could even take in a panoramic view of the park from a restaurant and cocktail lounge in one of the spires overhead. Now, a major change during the design of Epcot occurred between April and May 1977, when Imagineers decided to flip the positions of Future World and World Showcase. And this marked the beginning of what the company announced as Master Plan 5. Heralded as a conceptual breakthrough, it presented a park similar to the one we know today. So before we go on... um, 
What do you think of this concept now of Epcot, Craig? I, I it's hard to say considering, you know, we never got it in that way unless uh, you only constantly stay at the the Boardwalk Beach Club and Yacht Club. Then, you know, besides obviously not having a lot of those attractions that you mentioned and uh, the the Tower of the Four Winds. Besides not having all of that, it's, I mean, that's the only way you walk straight into the World Showcase and, and experience it from that side, too. Mm-hmm. But just on paper, I think I like the sound of that way better than mm-hmm. walking in into Future World. And I I don't know. It, I think just because it sounds so different but also familiar in the same way that it like it it walked or at magic kingdom or disneyland walking in with main street it's that having a lot of places that feel like individual homes kind of feels comforting as you're coming in it feels familiar whereas walking in with that that giant weenie of, of spaceship earth right in front of you that's it definitely is a unique way to draw you in, but um, it, it just doesn't have that flow to me that that kind of coming in through through those countries might have. But uh, again, that's just speculation. It, it, for all I can tell, it it might have been a disaster if they would have ended mm-hmm. up going with it that mm-hmm. that way. So um, if they considered it a. a, a good enough reason having good enough reasons to flip it then i'll trust them on it but that's just my thoughts what are yours well you know it the world showcase would not have been what we know it today under this yeah. plan it was you know sort of a big semi-circle yeah of pavi- uh, of these pavilions the fronts all looking pretty much the same and then they would be they'd be pie shaped out some could be larger than others but uh, they didn't want them the original concept was they would all be equal Mm-hmm. And not in competition with each other. And uh, so we're going to talk a little about how that concept changed. So it, it would be it would be walking into a very different world showcase. Yeah. So I mean, you'd be walking into a plaza, you know, basically with, you know, with, with then this, you know, and then almost surrounded by... Um, you know, like half a pie or so, maybe a little more than that. And that still sounds comforting to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I'm weird, though. Now, announced in the 1977 Walt Disney Productions annual report, Master Plan 5 detailed the basic premise of the Epcot Center theme park. And so I'm going to read from that. As conceived here, Epcot will be a showcase for prototype concepts, demonstrating practical applications of new ideas and systems from creative centers everywhere. It will provide an ongoing forum of the future where the best thinking of industry, government, and academia is exchanged to communicate practical solutions to the needs of the world community. It will be a communicator to the world, utilizing the growing spectrum of information transfer to bring new knowledge to the public. Finally, Epcot will be a permanent international people-to-people exchange, advancing the cause of world understanding. 
In addition, we are convinced that Epcot will provide a much-needed symbol of hope and optimism that our major challenges can and will be met. It will provide outstanding family entertainment from which people may draw enlightenment as well as enjoyment. And it will, of course, represent a major new extension of our business activities around the world. So sounds good. Now, Spaceship Earth was an evolution of the earlier Epcot theme show, and this was now the dominant visual icon of the park. Its enormous golden globe facing the entrance plaza, as described in Master Plan 5, Spaceship Earth is the major theme show and introduction to the concept and meaning of Epcot, focusing on the relationship between communications and humankind's continuing dynamic survival. It is an optimistic statement, recognizing our enormous challenges and concluding strongly that creative men and women of the world can develop a viable instruction book for Spaceship Earth. Central to the meaning of the show is the fact that access to accurate and relevant information and the continuing ability to create a new and better tools for survival have been the real dynamic of our voyage aboard Spaceship Earth. The Disney staff is creating an exciting and unique theatrical experience for the dramatic spherical structure which will dominate the entrance into Epcot Center. A time machine journey into the past to trace man's progress as he acquires and utilizes new knowledge. Surging forward through time, guests will see historical milestones unfold as man records, communicates more broadly, and finally uses computer technology to process ever-increasing amounts of information. As the Spaceship Earth show concludes, the audience is invited to go forth into Epcot's future world, into the many pavilions offering dramatic new vistas into vitally important topics affecting the future of humankind. See, now they forgot to add in that one day we'll actually be able to see our own future in Spaceship Earth, too. So... Mm -hmm. uh, they just completely missed that, though. Who who cares about everything that happened before and seeing progress when you could know your future through a fun video? <laughs> I thought you were going to say, and we could thank the Phoenicians. <laughs> and, well, we can thank them. Yeah, yeah, it was very easy to learn my ABCs because of them. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> now, Communicore, which uh, some of our younger guests know, that, that later became Interventions. That would be the Community and Communications Core of Epcot. And this is where guests would be able to gather information from the various pavilions and interact with the futuristic concepts in educational and entertaining ways. Now, according to Master Plan 5, as its, as its name suggests, this global marketplace of new ideas will be the communications core of Epcot Center. Here, industry and the public will participate in a hands-on exchange of new and exciting ideas, systems, products, and technologies. Some of the beginning concepts for this information marketplace include Telstore, a future world video bookstore where guests could experience firsthand the newly emerging world of video information for the home. 
Future World Travel Port, an electronic travel port where visitors could dial in their travel interests and other itinerary requirements and watch an instant preview of their upcoming vacation. Future Plan, a career center concept where immediate information would be offered about careers for young people and the newly developing field of second careers for retiring citizens. An Informat Arcade, a concept, pr concept providing new experiences for the public in information retrieval, which would include a casino of information in game-playing format, taking the Penny Arcade of the past into the information age. Other ideas for the Communicore will be developed by joint task forces of Disney designers and industry participants may and may include such things as the Good Health Emporium, the Drugstore of Tomorrow, and the Future World Office, a paperless place of business. So, so what are your thoughts there, Craig? Well, I don't really have a lot, to be honest. <laughs> um, it's the Communicore slash interventions has always been just bland to me and even with the original write-up on communicore uh it doesn't sound extremely interesting besides future plan and i want to <laughs> piggyback off of what i just said about knowing our future but you know extra knowing second careers for retiring citizens that's that's good i mean i wonder how many people would have been uh would have been told that one day they'll be driving buses and boats at Walt Disney World. But I was just thinking that. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I, it, it's Communicore slash Interventions. It's it's interesting mm -hmm. in a way to some people. Yeah, and, and this would morph, you know, into other things as time went on. Yeah. So yeah. So um, now Imagineers now had a clear vision for most of the future world pavilions. For the first time, we see attractions based on the land, the seas, life and health, transportations, space and energy. So Master Plan 5 briefly described each pavilion. So visitors to the Life and Health Pavilion will experience a new awareness and appreciation of themselves. The Joy of Living, a multimedia show, will extol the beauty, the dignity, and strength of man from birth to the golden years. The Incredible Journey Within will take guests to explore the inner workings of the fascinating, complex human machine. Along the great midway of life, they'll participate in a whimsical series of experiences, learning that good health is based more than anything else on their own personal responsibility and behavior. The Land Pavilion will graphically illustrate man's role as a protector of his finite resources, as well as his alternatives and choices in maintaining and even enhancing the delicate balance within the natural environment. Through a variety of exciting and informative shows and experiences, guests will be introduced to the basic concepts essential for understanding the need for harmony between man and his home on the land. I think that just describes Kitchen Cabaret perfectly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I thought the description for the land w was pretty good. 
you know, close to what we got. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that too. And uh, mm-hmm. and I, even beyond that, I, the first thing that kind of jumped out to me, even though it's not there anymore now, was even like the Circle of Life film with mm-hmm. that basis feels like like it would fit in um, with Life and Health, which obviously became Wonders of Life just before, since you mentioned it. I mm-hmm. I don't know if that necessarily came to fruition based on what they say in some aspects yes but mm-hmm. not quite as much as the land pavilion morphed yeah, into yeah. yeah i think the 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 um wonders of life maybe in the broadest terms yeah it did so now the transportation pavilion will show how man has progressed through time in direct relation to his ability to move from one location to another visitors will see man's earliest and most humble designs grow and change as he reaches out to explore the world around him they'll be treated to simulated trips aboard some of today's modes of transportation and have a glimpse at future transportation systems including a hands-on involvement of working prototypes of of tomorrow's vehicles i feel like with that one they they definitely nailed a portion of it mm-hmm. with uh with its first iteration and even it still rings true to this day as much as i dislike this version of test track um it does kind of give you that simulated trip into the future with transportation so i guess it, it, it does work mm-hmm yeah. Now, in the Space Pavilion, a huge interstellar space vehicle will transport passengers to the outer frontiers of the universe, highlighting man's efforts to reach out for the stars around him, from the early pioneers who looked and wondered, to modern-day space travelers and their triumphs, to the challenges and possibilities of future space technology and exploration. So, I think that still sort of does that. Yeah, I mm-hmm. I mean, I guess some could even argue it does that more mm-hmm. uh, with with Mission Space than it did with Horizons. But um, yeah, no, it's they're right on the money there. Yeah. In the Sea Pavilion, guests will board the clipper ship Spirit of Mankind to sail through moments of peril and triumph with seven legendary mariners, the great explorers who charted the seas for civilization. In another adventure, Poseidon the Sea Lord will challenge visitors to journey through the ocean depths from the continental shelf to the great coral reef. Finally, arriving at Sea Base Alpha, guests will experience an authentic ocean environment with live marine life, an undersea restaurant, and a showcase of oceanographic exhibits and displays. So I'm guessing when they were distributing Master Plan 5, someone accidentally deleted everything (laughs) in the first half of that paragraph uh, and just got handed a script that said, finally arriving at Sea Base Alpha. (laughs) Yes, I know. You know, since I didn't experience Epcot until 1992 maybe i didn't know before that people were boarding the spirit of mankind but i'm pretty sure that never happened (laughs) no that never happened it's too bad because this sound sounded really cool oh i mean with the exception probably of involving poseidon in there and bringing in uh bringing in uh the the mythical world uh besides that i think it could have been cool Mm -hmm. but then again they could have rethemed it to King Triton and the Little Mermaid when that came well, out. So I was just thinking that. Yeah. Yes, 
<laughs> Lots of options. <laughs> yeah. Now, even from the outside, the energy pavilion will be a strong visual statement as it generates power via its own solar energy systems. Here, the formation of fossil fuel energy will be portrayed, climaxed by a sudden energy storm of wind, lightning, rain, fire, and volcanic eruptions, demonstrating the almost endless potential of raw energy available for man. Yeah, that sounded about right. So, mm-hmm. nothing, yeah. nothing about Guardians of the Galaxy, though. So, no, no. Kind of wrong now, but... <laughs> Now, providing the gateway between Future World and World Showcase was the USA Pavilion, soon to be known as the American Adventure. And in this iteration, it resembled something of a cross between a UFO and a modern art museum on stilts. The circular pavilion served as the introduction to World Showcase. World Showcase now circled a lagoon instead of a plaza, although it still resembled the sleek semicircle design of previous designs. This would change in 1978, when Disney art director and Imagineer Harper Goff designed a World Showcase based on individual buildings, heavily themed to the architecture of the host nations. Now, according to Master Plan 5, A community of nations, World Showcase will be the first permanent international exposition of its kind anywhere, communicating the culture, history, tourism, and accomplishments of each participating country. Here, guests will visit a wide variety of exciting shows and rides through attractions, restaurants, and shopping streets unique to the individual nations, and areas presenting travel and products of industry. Epcot Center's World Showcase is a true people-to-people concept. Participating nations will be invited to send their outstanding young adults to operate the attractions, shops, restaurants, and exhibits of their pavilion. And these young people will not only work together, they will also live, play, and learn together. Many of these young adults will be future leaders of their countries. Their association and work experience in Epcot Center could be a significant step towards generating greater understanding amongst the peoples of the world. Now, this last part refers to a concept Cardwalker mentioned often during these years, and how Epcot was promoted by Walt Disney Productions. The hope that the international students coming to work at Epcot would return as friends to lead their own nations. And Walker often referred to his hopes that someday Israeli and Palestinian leaders or U.S. presidents and Soviet premiers could diffuse global tensions as they reminisced about their days at Epcot. That's some pretty high hopes there. <clears throat> that was. They were very lofty goals. Yeah. Um, I mean, but I get it. In that time period, there was, you know, throughout the 70s and stuff, even late 60s through 70s, there was a lot of turmoil happening in the world. Mm-hmm. So, thinking positive in that way it also mm-hmm. makes sense and i mean even even to to this day i think some people still wish something like that could happen so yes yes definitely definitely for the optimists and mm-hmm. who's better optimist than disney people <laughs> 
Now, whilst many of these ideas of Master Plan 5 never came to be, some concepts and menu items did make their way into the park on opening day. For Canada, planners had projected a menu for the Canada Buffeteria that included cheddar cheese soup, still a favorite for many park guests. Plans for the Germany Pavilion included a Munich beer hall atmosphere, similar to today, today's um, beer garden. After much courting, Disney finally had a critical breakthrough on January 6, 1978, when General Motors signed an agreement to sponsor a transportation pavilion in Future World. The GM deal signaled a vote of confidence in the Imagineers' plans and gave Disney's management the needed encouragement to proceed with their plans. Soon after, on January 27th, Exxon signed a deal to sponsor the Energy Pavilion. In October 1978, Card Walker made a final announcement that the company intended to proceed with Epcot Center. Speaking in front of Cinderella Castle to 2,500 delegates of the International Chamber of Commerce at their 26th World Congress, Walker declared that Epcot Center would open October 1st, 1982, and revealed that GM Exxon, Kraft, and AT&T had signed letters of intent or contracts to participate in Future World. Ten nations had expressed interest in World Showcase, including the United States, Mexico, Japan, West Germany, France, Canada, Israel, the United Kingdom, the United Arab Emirates, and Italy. So we weren't too far off there. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. I mean, mm-hmm. besides the the UAE and and uh, Israel, Israel. So, mm-hmm. yeah. but I also that's something I never really it never really dawned on me before. I should know it, considering the reunification didn't happen until '89. But I, I I just never bothered looking when Epcot opened. Was it marked just as Germany, or was it like was it said as West Germany? No, it was it was the German pavilion. Okay, so it was always mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Finally, after years of planning, ground was broken for Epcot Center on October first, nineteen seventy nine. A golden outline of Spaceship Earth, standing 178 feet high, was suspended from construction cranes whilst a 40-ton General Motors Terex truck delivered the first ceremonial load of dirt for construction. Florida Governor Bob Graham was on hand for the ceremony, as were former governors Hayden Burns, Claude Kirk, and Reuben Askew. Now, these men represented a continuous line of state governor that stretched back to Walt Disney's first Disney World press conference in 1965. Now, three years later, with all the expected fanfare and worldwide media coverage, Epcot Center was officially opened on time on October 1st, 1982. A month of ceremonies followed as each pavilion and attraction had its own special debut festivities. Other attractions and facilities would open in the following months and years. 
Epcot, once conceived by Walt Disney as a residential oasis, evolved into Walt Disney World and Epcot Center, a theme park founded on futurism. Whilst still reflecting Walt Disney's ideas, it was not a city, but instead more a world's fair. Future World would revolve around technology, and the World Showcase would be an upscale, highly themed version of the Epcot City downtown shopping area without the dome. Although the idea of a living laboratory with actual residents was no more, some of Walt's dream to explore how technology can refine the future would be maintained by the theme park's focus on edutainment, that's entertainment that would also educate and enlighten park guests to the possibilities of the future. So in future installments of our Epcot series, Craig and I will explore each of this park's pavilions and how the park has changed over the decades. Well, after after that tour of the uh, early concepts for Epcot Center, it's time to take a look back into uh, this week in Disney history. And again, we are going to be looking at the week of October 13th. We're going with our alternate uh, sort of... um, uh, uh, our, our alternate um, program yes. uh, of it, where uh, where I will pose some questions to Craig and see how um, how he does here. So, Craig, you all set? I am ready to go. All right, great. So we're going to start with October thirteenth. On October thirteenth, nineteen eighty seven, which beloved actor was inducted as the very first Disney legend? Oh, um, how do I not know this? I feel silly. A beloved actor. Hmm. He's probably best known to many people for a very long-running television show. Not for Disney. Hmm. He had, on, on which he had three sons. Oh, so I'm assuming you are going with my three sons? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I Why is the name just not coming to me? It's I, I'm going to think it out. <laughs> I... No, I, I can't think of it. I feel so stupid right now. It's just not coming to me. One of his characters is in uh, is named in Journey into Imagination with figment I think on a door <laughs> hmm. oh um uh Fred McMurray that's right he was the very first Disney legends um de- uh, hundreds of Disney employees and press representatives gathered at the Burbank studio to honor Fred McMurray as he arrived sitting in the back of a 1915 Model T Ford reminiscent of the one he flew as Professor Ned Brainerd in the Disney film The Absent-Minded Professor God I felt stupid on that one that took way <laughs> too long uh, So all right well let's let's see how you do with um October 14th and and actually we're going we're going to visit Epcot. What character made its grand entrance with Mickey Mouse at Epcot on October fourteenth, twenty ten? Hmm. Um. 
Actually, I I do know this. I, okay. Because I was working at Epcot at this time. There so you go. I, I was there at work the day that, that this much maligned character debuted. <laughs> and that, of course, is Duffy, the Disney bear. That is absolutely correct. That's right. Duffy was first-hand sewn by Minnie Mouse as a gift to Mickey. Duffy, dressed like a sailor, was designed to be Mickey's companion during his travels. The character at the time had been popular with guests at Tokyo Disney Sea theme park. Yeah, I and is, is popular at all the Asian parks. Yeah, right no, now. it's um, it's it's actually a bittersweet day because then. If I have my dates correct, then it would have been, I think, the very next day on the, the 15th that I was terminated from Walt Disney World. So, oh, is this um, for making disparaging remarks about Duffy? I personally <laughs> did not have any issues with Duffy, but I remember after okay. I, I remember seeing him and was just like, oh, yeah, it's cute. So. Mm-hmm. I didn't find him as offensive as other people did. I genuinely don't care. It's not my favorite, but I don't mind if you like him. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, So for October 15th, what show made its debut at the Disney MGM Studios on October 15th, 1998? 98. Um, hmm. I have two things in my head that are jumping out. Um, If I ask for a hint, would you tell me? They built a special theater for this. Okay, well, that was was one half. I was going to ask for an easier one. I was just going to (laughs) say, is it still around anymore? So Mm -hmm. um, I think it was maybe a year later... But the one thing that first jumped in my head was the very awful Doug Live. But the other thing was, which I now have confirmed the answer by you, thank you for the easy hint, would be Mm -hmm. Fantasmic. That's correct. It is Fantasmic. And it debuted at the Hollywood Hills Amphitheater. Okay, October 16th. Okay, I think this might be a harder one. Which Disney film premiered on October 16th 2008 at the University of Southern California's Galen Center, home of the Trojan basketball team. 3,000 people attended the premiere screening. Um, 2008. I am unsure. I can't think of anything mm. off the top of my head movie-wise in 2008. The, the, well, what might give you a hint is it started out as a Disney Channel series. And probably out of these 3,000 people, a good number of them were girls 12 and under. <laughs> it started as a Disney Channel. Um mm-hmm. Well, maybe not a series, but films. Series of films. Uh, Was it 
The only one that I know, and I was, I think, was it was High School Musical three released in theaters? It was. Was that it? It is okay. <laughs> well, being bit, uh huh. I, I think we said it when Nancy and I went up in trivia. I don't know anything about Disney Channel. Uh, <laughs> I don't either. Original films. Once years. you got to those, yeah, I yeah. I know the Disney Channel original movies while I was growing up, but High School Musical was way past my time. Mm-hmm. So I was yeah. in college when that came out. That would have been yeah. not okay for me. <laughs> well, whilst being billed a world premiere, the forty million dollar movie has premiered in London already, as well as Madrid and Paris. It's scheduled for a theatrical release in the United States on October 24th. Whilst being billed a world premiere, the $40 million movie, as I mentioned, it already premiered. It's scheduled for a theatrical release on the 24th, as I also already mentioned. That's what I get for writing things twice. (laughs) Okay. Anyway. All right. October 17th. Which three Disney characters made their debut in Walt Disney's Sunday comic strip on October 17th, 1937? I'm... There's only two sets of threesomes that I know off the top of my head. And I'm gonna go... It might be way too early, but... I'm going to say go with the Donald style and go Huey, Dewey, Louie. That's correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. His cool. triplet nephews. Um, they've been created by cartoonist Al Taliaferro, and they will later appear in the April 1938 animated short Donald's Nephews. And I felt like Three Little Pigs would have been way too early for that to be in a comic. <laughs> okay, October 18th. Evelyn Venable, the original model for the Columbia Pictures logo, was born on October 18th, 1913. Which character did she voice in Walt Disney's Pinocchio? Um, I... Sorry, I'm trying to think my way through the movie. There's... Am I wrong? Is there only one female voice in it the entire time? It, it, it depends what you consider voices. You could be correct. I mean, I know... I know, obviously, there's plenty of females out there who do voices for... Um, who do voices for male characters, especially when they're kids and stuff. So, uh, but even then, you only have Pinocchio and Lampwick as far as younger voices, and I don't think either of them were voiced by women. And I, unless she was a burly lady, uh, <laughs> I doubt she was Geppetto. And uh, obviously, Cliff Edwards is Jiminy Cricket. So, and, um, yeah, just going through, the only female character I can even think of is the Blue Fairy. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, there was little Figaro, little meowing Figaro. Uh, but, but you're correct. 
<laughs> she was the voice of the Blue Fairy, Evelyn Venable. So the next time you see a Columbia picture, you will know that is the also the Blue Fairy holding I that see, yeah. torch. I kind of see the resemblance in my mind yeah. just thinking about it. I just watched yeah. something that was Columbia Pictures recently, too. Mm-hmm. So, huh? Yeah, is that interesting? It, All the connections. I, you know, I, I like that one. That one gets yeah. my approval. Good choice. I like that. I love little things like that. Yeah. Little. Yeah. Yeah. October nineteenth. Here you go. Oh, we're back in Epcot. Epcot's first thrill ride opened on October 19th, 1989. Which attraction is it? Oh, Body Wars. Yep, you're right. I know. <laughs> there was only one for how many years, so I don't have to think about that one. Yeah. Yep, it began sending guests through the human bloodstream at the brand new Wonders of Life Pavilion. Now, for guests who don't know, this was a modern simulator ride featuring a film directed by Leonard Nimoy. Of course, we Star Trek fans know him as Mr. Spock. Um, Body Wars can carry 40 passengers in each of four 26-ton simulators. The cast of the Body Wars film features Tim Matheson as Captain Braddock, Dakin Matthews as Mission Commander, and Elizabeth Shue as Dr. Cynthia Lair, who is investigating white cell response time to a splinter penetration and this is why i was terrified most of my childhood of getting splinters oh because you thought there'd be three little people in a spaceship going through you yeah (laughs) (laughs) well you did very well i'll I'll give myself a five so i I know i eventually got to all of the answers but some of them took a little bit uh more help than i should have been given it all so Uh i'll be fair So, Craig, so how do you feel now? We've got we, we've embarked on our exploration of Epcot Center in in this um, at this time. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm very I'm very excited for Epcot. Mm-hmm. So, uh, as as great as everything was when we were going over the Magic Kingdom, since so much of that was rooted in in Disneyland coming before, uh, it's for us at least on this show. It's it's definitely is a nice fresh start with something very uniquely Walt Disney World oriented but I think it's also just because of how much I know both of us love Epcot as a park Mm -hmm. Um, you know not so much at least for me these days Uh, it's it's definitely going through it's it's growing pains right now but uh, the the one thing that I I do think about it with is as much as the negativity and hatred that it kind of gets for how downhill future world has kind of gone is that when you look at the world showcase at least the fact that it is still running so strong is a testament to to while some of the concepts for epcot the theme park epcot center while they might have been a little bit a little bit too optimistic with future world at least the world showcase idea was was a firm foundation that it could mm-hmm. go on with not needing a lot of update and maintenance to it. And so that's, that's ultimately why world showcases is, is still just so popular and, and such a beautiful area of that park and, and future world was just a, another Tomorrowland where it's running on borrowed time all of the time. But 
Yeah, which is too bad. I think, you know, and, and as we explore the future world pavilions, you know, that definitely will be a discussion of ours is, yeah. you know, could these have survived? Could they have morphed and continued the edutainment? Or, you know, has, has society changed so much that they couldn't be maintained? I, I think society has changed, but I think it still could have been updated in a way to fool people into learning mm-hmm. stuff or or focused kind of like spaceship earth does focus on the past and in the present and the future in that that sense of it so um i think there's ways around that and like you said we'll get into that with the individual ones mm-hmm. but uh, just making it more family friendly and more disney is not I, I think that's a cop out in the long run, but it, it does seem like it's the I don't know. Well, cheap maybe isn't the word in the sense not financially, but it seems like it, it was the cheap and easy decision. Yeah, you the, know, thematically wise, and that's I think easy is the is the key word there, and <laughs> it's kind of opposite of Walt and. You know, I don't. I don't want to go after having that tirade about what <laughs> questions you could ask us, but I don't. Just on how hard he worked throughout his entire life, um, there's there's no way that you can say that he always looked for the easy way out. So mm-hmm. um, sometimes to do the greatest things, you can't take the easy road. So, right, and that's what's happening now. But we'll get into that. Mm-hmm. We definitely will, yeah. So many books, films, articles, interviews, and lectures were sourced for this episode of Connecting with Walt, including um, the books The Epcot Explorer's Encyclopedia, A Guide to Walt Disney World's Greatest Theme Park by R.A. Peterson, Epcot, The First 30 Years, An Unofficial Retrospective by Jeff Lang and Kevin Yee, Walt Disney's Epcot Center, Creating the New World of Tomorrow, with text by Richard R. Beard. Um, Some websites uh, that I found helpful were Progress City USA, uh, D23.com, and Esquire.com, Inside Walt Disney's Ambitious Failed Plan to Build the City of Tomorrow. So, Craig, until next time, where can our listeners find you on the Diz Unplugged network of shows? As always, you can find me on the Walt Disney World Edition podcast, the Universal Edition podcast, the Best and Worst of Walt Disney World, the Diz Daily Fix, and always on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Teleclaster. What about you, Michael? Well, you can send me messages at michael at wdwinfo.com. Twitter, I'm at mbowling121. Facebook, I'm Michael Bowling. Instagram, Michael Bowling the Diz. And you can connect with me and Craig on the official Connecting with Walt Twitter page at Connecting Walt. So if you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes at disunplugged.com. And look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings. And thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing that was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. Mm -hmm.